Well, this morning we're in part two of a three-part series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, before we even kind of talk about gifts, I I know when I say the the word or, or the words, Holy Spirit, that might trigger different responses among different ones of you. Some of you would say, Holy Spirit, finally, you know, we're talking about the Spirit, you know. And others of you might say, the Holy who? Or, or, or you might say, yeah, I know, technically he's, you know, one of the, what do we call that, the Trinity, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but, but, but what is he about, and, and, and what does he have to do with me, and, and I know God the Father, maybe he's the one who created the heavens and the earth, and he's the one who, who loved the world from the beginning, and Jesus, we know about Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, maybe you're thinking, so what's this guy? Is he the goosebump guy? Is he the guy that sort of makes church exciting? I mean, who is the Holy Spirit? A, a short phrase that maybe you can commit to memory or write down somewhere. Uh, the great New Testament scholar Gordon Fee wrote a book describing the work of the Holy Spirit, and he called it God's Empowering Presence. And maybe that's a helpful way to think about this, that the Holy Spirit, yes, is a person, but He is God's empowering presence with you. And there's no such thing as saying, well, this guy has a lot of the Holy Spirit and this guy has a little itty bitty Holy Spirit. No, when God's empowering presence is with you, it means He's with you as much as He is with me, as much as He is was with Paul, as much as he... Do you see what I'm saying? And so there's never a moment in your life where you say, well, geez, I, I'm sort of getting gypped here because I have kind of the, the JV Holy Spirit. There's no such thing. And more than that, we've just come out of the series on the book of Acts, and, and you'll remember that as we journeyed through Acts, we talked about how Luke is trying to show us that the things that Jesus did, the church continued to do. And Luke is trying to show us that, look, as Jesus announced the arrival of the kingdom, so the church began to live as if the kingdom had arrived. And they began to preach Jesus as the only way to to God and, and the one through whom our sins are forgiven and all of this stuff. And they began to do signs and wonders and miracles as a way of saying, God's in charge. Jesus has come. And that work continues through you and I. In fact, one of the ways to think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to to think of it as God's grace at work in us so that Jesus' work continues. In fact, one one of the phrases for the church is what? The body of Christ. We are Jesus' body on the earth so that the work of God continues through us. Last week, as as we set up this series, we spent a bit of time talking about grace and the spiritual gifts, mainly because those words in Greek are closely related, and Paul is, is not just playing with language, though he's connecting ideas. He's showing us that, look, it's God's grace that forms us as a community. It's God's grace that, that defines us so that the church is a community formed by God's grace, not by your good works, not by how faithful you've been to this or that, not how good you've been, but, but by God's grace, it's formed us into a new people But we said that that same grace that forms us is the grace that has gifted us. And so each of us have been graced with something from God. Romans 12, verse 3 through 5 in the ESV says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment 
each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of each other. So just kind of by way of summary, let me give you a couple sentences here. And the first is this. A spiritual gift is God's grace coming to a visible expression in you and then through you to others. Leave this up there and let's, think, let's talk through this for a moment. A spiritual gift is God's grace coming to a visible expression in you. And if we stopped right there, we'd say, wow, isn't that amazing? The grace of God that saved you is also going to come to a visible expression and show up in special ways. It's going to come to a visible expression in you, but also through you to others. In other words, we, we said this at the end of the service last week, that a spiritual gift is meant to be re-gifted. It's the ultimate gift that you can re-gift. Because you don't receive it and say, oh, thank you, I'll use it and I'll use it up. You don't use it up, you receive it and it flows out of you to someone else. And so it's also how the grace of God flows to others. But as we move on, I think it would be easy to kind of stop here and say, okay, wonderful, a spiritual gift is grace and it's all grace and it's all grace. So, so I've got nothing to do, I've got no role in this and I'll just sit here and just wait for gifts to sort of pop up. And someone says, well, how, how come you don't serve at your church? And how come you're not part of, oh, well, I, I just, I don't have any gifts. But I'm just waiting for the grace of God to just show up in a gift. You know what's interesting is all through the scriptures, what we, what we see is God beginning something that only he could begin, but then inviting us to participate in it with him. What God creates, he calls us to cultivate What God creates, I'll say it again, what God creates, He calls us to cultivate. What God creates, He calls us to cultivate. A picture of this is in Eden. Think about the garden scene. Here we have God making this garden, the story goes, and and, and there's all these living things and and creatures and, and a garden, and He makes the man and the woman. And He says to them, now tend the garden, cause it to flourish cause it to grow. And you say, wait a minute, God, you're the creator, right? So couldn't you have made it already in its flourishing form? Why did you need Adam? Well, technically didn't need Adam. Could it be that this is just the way God is? That he loves to invite us to join him. That what God creates, he invites us to cultivate. And so he says to Adam, he says, look, here's this garden. I've got it going for you. You couldn't have done that. You're right. I could never have done that. But now join me and cultivate this. I was reading a devotional by uh, the late great John Stott, a great preacher and and leader in the evangelical movement, a a British uh, Anglican. And Stott was recounting the story of of a priest that went to go visit a gardener. And this gardener had these hedges that were just blooming these beautiful flowers and it was just amazing and the priest kept going on and on about how marvelous God is and the priest kept saying oh praise God what a beautiful bush and what gorgeous flowers and oh praise God and this gardener is getting a little irritated you know and Stott says the gardener says to him well you should have seen this garden when God had it all to himself (laughs) and kind of the point the point is hey I did something here to to make this help this garden grow. 
I don't think it's quite like that, but I think there's something about that that is true where the Holy Spirit fills us so that we can join Him in this. The gifts that you have been given, in other words, need to be cultivated. Paul says that elsewhere. He says, stir up. Don't neglect the gifts of God that are in you. Stir it up. In other words, you can't, this is not a passive engagement. God's grace is not the end. It's the beginning. It is also the end. <laughs> but it's in the middle. But God's grace is the beginning of this new thing that says, okay, look, I've started this work in you. I'll complete it. But join me in this. Cultivate this. In fact, in this very passage here in Romans 12 that we've been looking at as our text, there's, a, there's an implication here as Paul is not just listing gifts, but kind of giving a charge. And some other translations bring that out. Listen to it in the Common English translation here, verse 7. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. And if your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. And if your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. There is this idea of saying, look, a spiritual gift must be cultivated as we cooperate with God's grace at work in our lives. A spiritual gift must be cultivated as we cooperate with God's grace in our lives. Now, as modern Westerners... I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed too, kind of um, a difference in the way we think about ourselves and our lives. Uh, we like to focus on discovering our strengths and uh, the things we do well naturally and try to minimize anything that needs work, right? And I notice this even as a parent because some of my children have a, a natural sort of inclination toward music. And... Um, and, and as a result, they don't really want to practice, and I will not name which child this is. And I have to instruct them to say, listen, did you know that, I'll never forget the day that I sat down with her, and I said, I said you know, dad didn't just wake up and start playing the piano. I had to work at this. And she looked at me like, really? And I think we sort of expect that something that comes in your life, you just got to discover your strengths because discovering is much easier than developing or devoting, like Paul said in that trend, devoting yourself to it. Now, I grew up in an opposite kind of culture. I grew up in, in, in an Asian culture that tends to overemphasize developing at the expense sometimes of discovering. And so it doesn't matter what you're naturally good at. If you work hard enough, you can become good at it. Like, okay, well, I'll try, you know. I mean, I had piano teachers at six, seven, eight who had rulers that wrapped my knuckles every time they sank down a little bit. I'm still a little scarred. <laughs> and neither extreme, of course, is quite right. But I think God, the same God who created the garden and set Adam and Eve in it and said, cultivate this, join me in my work, is the same God that says to you, look, behold, by my grace, I've made you a new creation. By my grace, you are a new creation. You are no longer defined by your sin. You are defined by my righteousness, by my grace. Now join me in this work of cultivating this new garden, new creation garden in you. Join me in cultivating it. Let the fruit come out. Let the gifts come out. Does that make sense? And so this morning we're going to look at three gifts. And we're going to... Uh, look at them and say, okay, so what, what does this gift look like? And, and, and what does it mean to say that, you know, I think God's grace is showing up in my life in this way, and, and, and maybe what, what might it look like to develop that or just continue to say yes to God's work in that? 
Verse 7, if you'll turn there, Romans 12, verse 7, we'll, we'll take it phrase by phrase. If service, then in our serving. So serving is our first one to talk about. This word here, diaconia, is, is closely connected with the word that we use, or that we get our word deacon from. Um, the one who serves, or if you're maybe from a denomination where you're used to a deacon ministry, you used to think of, oh yeah, deacons, they're the ones that, that, that kind of serve. And, and really, the, the story of deacons goes back to the book of Acts, if you remember in our series last year, um, where the apostles were saying, look, there are a lot of people in need, and we need to be able to devote ourselves to the word of God in prayer. In other words, it was the apostles saying, there's something in us that's, that God's grace is showing up in this way and we need to give ourselves to it, to devote ourselves to it. Can, we need others who are full of the Spirit to come and help meet some of these needs. And so these men were chosen that were full of the Spirit of God and they began to literally wait on tables and serve the widows that, that, that needed food. And that's the beginning of it. But I think when we think of this gift, we tend to sort of um, minimize it. We tend to sort of think, oh yeah, that's kind of the gift you have if you don't really have one. You know, I'll just say what you're thinking. Thank God I don't have the gift of serving. I, I mean, I heard a story, you know, they were getting ready for a church function up at the North Campus and, and they needed to clear the, the chairs and the table and they said to a woman, hey, could you help us stack these chairs? And she, she, she just said, I, I'm sorry, I'm a teacher. I know, but you've all thought it. I've thought it. We've all had moments where we think, well, I mean, I don't really do that. Serving, essentially, is this. It's the work we do for others to the glory of God. Serving is work that we do for others, but to the glory of God. This changes it, of course. It takes it out of the, 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 um, the paradigm of, well, do they deserve this? It takes it out of the question of the realm of, well, are they worth this? And all of a sudden you're saying, well, I'm doing this for you, but truly I'm doing this to the glory of God. And so I serve. And the amazing thing about serving is this is the very word that Jesus used to define his own ministry. And now this is where the word of God becomes that double-edged sword that we hear about because we're like, I thought serving was like that lower of the gifts and prophecies up here. Yeah. But Jesus, when he chose to define his ministry, this was our gospel reading this morning, but the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And Jesus says, the grace of God shows up in serving. It shows up in finding needs and meeting those needs. Because the truth is, the various details that need to be taken care of Nobody would truly say they're passionate about it. Oh, I just love picking up the trash. And I think for, for others of us who want to deflect off this gift, we imagine that there are people like that. So, well, I don't need to worry about that trash because I know there's people who are truly passionate about that. <laughs> I, I tell you, the longer you stick around in church, you'll hear it all. And all of a sudden, we need to reframe the way we're thinking about this and to realize, no, 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 no. Serving is one of the ways that, that, that we're doing this for the glory of God and the grace of God shows up in us to just meet needs wherever we find them. To just begin to say, I'll, I'll take care of that, I'll take care of that. I'll, you know who I think does a tremendous job of this downtown? All of our New Life Downtown team. 
You know there are people that show up here a little before 8 o'clock, drive a truck. Jin, are you in here, Jin? Jin does this somewhere. Chris Burley, Brandon Shannon. They come before 8 o'clock, drive the truck, unload it, roll in cases. Do you think they're saying, you know what, my spiritual gift is truck unloading? (laughs) No. But the grace of God is rising up in them to say, there's a need. I'll do that. I can do that. And they stay late. Most, after most of us are gone, they're staying late, loading up the last thing, picking up the parking signs, taking it to stuff. Here's Sven. He runs sound. He's setting up the stuff and the cables. And we come in. And we're like, oh, this is great. This is all working. You know, there's people who are doing that. There's people who come and get our communion ready each week. Leonard and Joy Lake. They've been doing this for years now, back when we were doing the Sunday night service. John and Miros Leonard. I'm so grateful that there are people who say, you know what? The grace of God is rising up in me and empowering me to meet needs wherever I see it. And I say, I, I can do that. And maybe you're listening to me say this and you're thinking, well, I can do that. All right, well, join us. Join us. In fact, if you want, if you want to, just plan on showing up here at 8 a.m. on a Sunday, and, then the, and the, the folks that are unloading the truck will take your help every week. Just plan on going backstage at noon and help them reload the truck. Say, can I grab the parking lot signs? I'll do that. I'll grab the cones. Just, just jump in. Just do that. Others of you say, well, I want to actually like, join the team. That's great. Brooke will be at the table in the lobby after the service, and you can sign up with her. We'll take it. One of the most beautiful stories came from a group that's partly from here, from downtown, and then also from the mill. But uh, the mills had a small group that's been going for a number of years called $5 Missions, $5 Ministry. And they basically bring five bucks on, a, on I think on a, I don't know what night of the week actually. Um, what, what night of the week is it? Sunday. And, uh, and they, they each bring five bucks and they use their five bucks to buy a meal and then they come and hang out with uh, those who are um, displaced or homeless and, and in the parks. And, um, and over Christmas, Andrew Gonzalez, Andrew and Sloan just got married. They're, they're, they work with our third through fifth graders and and Andrew came to me and he said, Glenn, we, we've got this desire to throw a banquet for all of these homeless um, individuals and families. And he said, you know, like the, the, the Jesus kind of banquet, you know, like a truly a feast, like not like, you know, like something out of the ordinary just because it's Christmas. And so we, we worked it out and we reserved the cafeteria at, at uh, Palmer. And Palmer was gracious to let us do that. And, and then the mill supplied like tons of volunteers, people that came. And these guys and gals came dressed up in black suit and tie kind of thing, prepared their meal, and served, literally waited on tables just like the first deacons did. That's because the grace of God rose up in them and said, I see something and I can take care of that. I can fill that. It's also a sign, I think, that we're coming to maturity, isn't it? Um, All of you are parents. You know that when your kids are young, they're always asking you to do stuff for them, which is fine. They're young. But it's a great joy when they get older and you realize not only are they taking care of themselves, but they begin to take care of their other siblings. When our older girls get Jonas dressed or, you know, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I, I, I didn't even ask you to do that. Nora is great and all of a sudden she'll disappear. Well, where'd Nora go? And all of a sudden she's cleaned up her whole room without being asked. It's a miracle. It can only be the grace of God at work <laughs> rising up as the gift of serving. The next gift as we go on in verse 7, it says, The one who teaches in his teaching. 
teaching, as I was studying it this week, is not just sort of you know, uh, imparting data or imparting information. Really, the way it's used in the New Testament is it's the people who carry on, who pass on the faith. It's the people who take the established truth of the gospel and are able to hand it on to, uh, in different contexts to a new generation of believers. So teaching is passing on the established truth of the gospel with new insight. So it's the established tradition, it's the apostles' doctrine, but they're relying on the Holy Spirit to give them fresh eyes, to see it, to look at it. There's an old joke that says, you know, a, a lecturer is a person who gets information transferred from his notes to the student's notes without going through anybody's mind. <laughs> and, I, and I'm working on that. But a teacher, I think, is one who kind of says, you know, the Spirit of God is giving me fresh eyes at this. I'm not changing the truth of the gospel. I'm not messing with the faith that has been handed down to us. I'm not tweaking it. you, You ought to get nervous if you listen to a teacher that says, I have a new revelation on this. Technically, there is only one revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus as the as the fulfillment of the scriptures. And all of us may get new light on it, a new illumination on it. But I think it's best to save the word revelation for the ones who passed the scriptures on to us. And so the gift of teaching is not someone who comes up with some crazy new doctrine. In fact, that's probably a good sign they're not a teacher. But someone who's able to pass it along with new insight, with fresh eyes. Honestly, I think in the church today, um, there continues to be, probably in every age this has been the case, but there continues to be a great need for teachers. A need for teachers because Paul says elsewhere, look, it's teachers who will help us move on out of our immaturity, who will help us go beyond sort of the milk and into the meat, who will challenge us to grow up. And maybe you think of this gift and you think, well, yeah, but that's, that's kind of, you know, the guy who stands up here. That's sort of you, so why talk to us about your gift? But imagine for a moment that Paul is writing this, because he is, to gatherings of believers in individual homes. And imagine for a moment what the gift of teaching might look like in, the, in smaller settings. It could look as simple as one-on-one discipleship. Walking with someone through the truth of the Scriptures and saying, let me walk through, you've just come to the Lord, let me walk with you through Romans or through a Bible study. Or, or maybe it could look like a, a seasoned person who's, who's raised their kids and says, I'm going to find some young couples and young people and we're going to help pass on how the gospel shows up even in parenting and in marriage and how this kind of works. Always grateful for people who do that. But I think of it as our children's ministry teachers here at New Life Downtown. Which, by the way, thank you for your patience with us. We've been in this building here for, uh, since the end of August, and all of our, our children have been in one larger area. We're about to, over the next week or two, put our third through fifth graders and older children in a separate classroom. And all of the parents of younger kids might say, Amen. If you've seen the fun that is happening in that big room back there. But all of this stuff requires, of course, more teachers. More people who will say, I want to pass on the faith with new insight to a new generation. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of investing and imparting. And so maybe it is in that setting. Maybe it is in the discipleship setting. But here's the, the thing I want you to catch. As the Lord adds to us here at New Life Downtown, as we begin to pray about different ways that we can serve our city and bless our city and speak of Jesus and the gospel in our city, guess what we're hopeful for? More and more people to come in. 
But as that happens, do you think people are going to come in fully mature and fully ready and all washed up and cleaned up? Washed up, not washed up, cleaned up? <laughs> washed up's fine too. But No, they're going to come in ready for teachers to say, hey, I'll, 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 let's start a group. Come over to my house. We'll do lunch. We'll do Sunday lunch. And we'll go, we'll go over this scripture. We'll go over this together. And all of a sudden, it's you who are doing the work of the ministry. The last thing here that Paul says that we're going to cover today, verse 8, first part of verse 8, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. Now, exhortation, it's kind of a churchy word. We could have used the word encouragement, but I like exhortation because of what this word really means. I used to always think about exhorting or encouraging uh, as coming alongside a person who's down. As finding someone who's down, you come, you know, the, the, the visual is you come alongside them, you put your arm around them, and you're encouraging them. But do you know this word here for exhorting really has a different image? It's not coming alongside someone, it's calling someone alongside you. Parakaleo, calling them alongside you. I just said that because Dr. Todd's here and he would appreciate that. But, but it's calling someone alongside of you to say, hey, I'm going this way, join me. Come on, we can do this. And maybe the way to think of this is this. Exhortation is inspired words and actions that bring others alongside us. Imagine that. That bring others alongside of us. David Perkins is a dear friend of mine. And David uh, you know, and I have been friends for 12 and a half, going on 13 years. And David loves to pray. David loves to seek the Lord. And David has never um, turned this into kind of a guilt trip or a manipulation thing of like, if you don't pray, you're not as good as me, you know, um, though I feel that. Um, <laughs> but, but the reason I think the grace of God shows up in exhortation in David's life is because he's basically saying, I'm going this way. Come on. I'm going to be there at 630. Come on. I'm going to fast. Who's with? Come on. And every summer, you'll see thousands of teenagers say, yeah, all right. And that's amazing because it's somebody in whom the grace of God is working that can say, I'm going, I'm calling you alongside of me. In our kind of modern language, we might call this leadership. Later, Paul talks about the gift of leadership, but the gift of leadership Paul's talking about is really more about presiding and managing. This exhortation gift is more like what we call inspiring leadership. The ability to call someone alongside of you and say, join me. This is what we're doing. Let's go together. If you're like me as a Broncos fan, you're probably still grieving today. And you may not turn on the TV to watch the Patriots play the AFC Championship game in Foxborough because it should have been here in Denver. And in fact, Peyton Manning was 7 for 8, 88, it led him on an 88-yard drive, took off all this time off the clock, went ahead, our defense then holds him, four downs, we get the ball back, why we run five handoffs, five runs in a row, I don't know, but we did, <laughs> gave them the ball back with a minute and nine, statistically, we're still supposed to have a 98% probability of winning, something like that. And then this second-year safety decides not to stay all the way back. <laughs> Maybe he can play a little shallower, try to make the nice play, misjudges it like a little league K-1 
kid in the outfield, can't catch a fly ball. I'm in the stage, whatever the stage of grieving is that's anger, that's where I am today. But then they score, they go 80 yards with no timeouts in 38 seconds. 80 yards, 38 seconds, no timeouts. We get the ball at the 20, 31 seconds, two timeouts. All we need is about 50 yards. We got the best kicker in the league. All we need is 50 yards. <sighs> and the coach says, Manning, to the greatest fourth quarter comeback quarterback of all time, he says, go out there and take a knee. Why? This is where I go back to the shock part of grieving <laughs> in my process. Confusion, why? I'm such a Broncos geek that I actually watched the press conference on Monday. Uh, and of course, everybody wanted to know, Coach Fox, why did you tell the greatest fourth quarter comeback quarterback of all time to take a knee when you had 31 seconds and two timeouts? And this is what he said. He said, because I looked at the faces of my players and they were just too shocked. <laughs> You're the coach! You say to your team, this is where we win the game right now. Come on, let's go. This is where we etch our names in the history. This is where we make our mark. This is what championship teams are made of. Let's go! I got my speech ready. <laughs> As Coach Fox evidently may not move in the gift of exhortation. <laughs> but see, I think, I, think, I think this is what it looks like to exhort, to say, look, we can do this. Let's go. Do you remember that story in the Old Testament where Jonathan and his armor bearer are climbing up the hill and it's really tactically a bad move because they're climbing up a hill and, and the, the army's right here and they're saying, I think we can attack them from below. And they're like, that, that's the, every military person says, that's a weird strategy, man. Take the high ground, right? But Jonathan must have had some sort of exhortation gift because his armor bearer says, I'm with you, heart and soul. Whatever you do, we'll do it. Okay, man. Now, you may think of this, where does this show up? Honestly, I think it shows up just every day. It shows up in the way that you live your lives faithfully for Christ and say to someone else, come, come alongside me. Come walk with me as we do this. Come journey with me as we do this. I, I can think of several examples of, of um, different people finding yourself in different situations. Maybe uh, it's a stay-at-home mom and you're saying, well, I, I, you know, I don't know about this. Well, well maybe I'll... Get some others together with me. And then all of a sudden, they're all journeying together. Maybe it's you in your workplace. I was talking to a friend this week who said, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I feel like sort of I'm in this strange spot where I don't quite fit and don't quite belong. So, well, maybe you're there so that as you are faithful to God in the midst of a complicated environment, others who are also in those kinds of environments can say, hey, he's doing it. She's doing it. Maybe it's possible to be faithful to the Lord in this complicated environment. And all along the way, you say, well, well, maybe where I am, maybe in this job, maybe in this work environment, maybe in this culture, maybe in this context, maybe in this school, maybe in this place, it's sort of, you wouldn't think that, that it's obvious that God would work in this situation, but maybe if I open my eyes and begin to let God's grace lead me here, maybe I can call others alongside me and we can journey in it together. Story after story after story, maybe it's, early morning prayer meetings before the work week to say, you know what, come on, let's, let's go into our work week with a different kind of 
uh, lens. Maybe it's midweek prayer where you're saying, look, let's call others alongside to say, look, I want to faithfully follow God into the arts or into the music scene or into this or into that. And I, I, I want to do it, but I want to call others alongside me so we can walk together. That's, I think, what exhortation begins to look like. Imagine a church where everybody began to say, Lord, there are needs all around us. There are needs in our church. There are needs in our community. There, there's, there are people that are hurting. There's, there's, there's room for someone to teach them. And there's room for someone to walk alongside them. And there's room for someone to, to, to call them out. There's room for someone to teach them. There's room for someone to serve them. What if you all began to pray, God, how can your grace show up in me so that I can show grace to them? What if we all began to pray? So I, I don't want to just sort of be passive and kind of say, well, God, whatever gifts you want to give me. No, I'm going to say, God, I want your grace to rise up in me so that I can be a blessing to them. Maybe you see a situation at your school or your, your workplace. You're like, well, I, God, I, how can I? Lord, let your grace rise up in me so that I can be a blessing to them, so that your grace can flow out through me to them. We said last week that all of the spiritual gifts ultimately reveal Jesus. And isn't Jesus the one who came to serve us? The gift of serving in Him. And isn't Jesus the one who came to teach us, to show us what God is really like? And isn't Jesus the one who says, I'm, go- I'm taking up my cross and going this way. You follow me. You follow me. I wonder if when we begin to live this way, all of a sudden what people see is not Susie that serves well, but they see Jesus serving them. And all of a sudden they realize, this isn't Bruce teaching me or discipling me, this is Jesus instructing me in His way. And this isn't Britt calling me alongside Him, this is Jesus challenging me to follow Him in a fresh way. What if this is how it really is supposed to look? But Jesus, of course, is much more than just the one who came to serve us, the one who came to teach us, the one who calls us alongside Him. Jesus is the one who came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Of all the gifts, it all begins with the gift of of grace. The gift of God giving His Son for us. It's been said that the essence of sin is humans, people substituting ourselves for God. Putting us in a place where only God should be. The essence of salvation is God substituting Himself for us. Putting Himself where we should be. And so in Jesus, God steps into our world and takes upon Himself all of our sin, all of our tendency to manipulate and harm. Because look, without Jesus, without the grace of God as the fountainhead of the spiritual gifts, all of them can be twisted and warped. Isn't there a way of serving someone to make others feel bad? Ever done that? You just served, you're like, well, why are you doing that? Oh, you know, it's just... And, and parents, I mean, this is kind of, it shows up a lot in parents because we give, and then all of a sudden it's your birthday and you're like, well, I guess my children don't love me. Didn't get me a very nice gift. I mean, after all the years that I cook and clean and what, oh, geez, is that why you were serving, you know? 
And all of a sudden, serving can become a way to manipulate. Can't it easily become that? Sure, it can't. Can't teaching become a way to make yourself superior? You bet it can. And can't exhortation be a way of beating someone else over the head and being like, you lazy scumbag, you get out of bed and join me on the trail and go running this morning. (laughs) Couldn't we do that? Sure. I point at Dan because Dan has a gift of exhortation in getting me out of bed on like single-digit degree cold days and getting me to run outside with him on the Santa Fe Trail. Go, Dan. All of these gifts, if they get disconnected from the fountainhead of grace, get twisted by our sinfulness. All of them do. And so it would be, I would be doing you a disservice if we preached on the spiritual gifts, but I did not repeatedly point you to the fountainhead of grace, Jesus himself. It all begins when you come to God and you say, God, I can't make myself better. I can try to develop these things. I I can't. I can't. I just don't want to serve. I'm selfish. I don't want to teach. I'm arrogant. I don't want to exhort. I'm a bully at my core. It all begins when we say to God, I have tried to put myself where only you should be. I've tried to serve myself. I've tried to exalt myself. Forgive me. And then God says to us, you know what I've done? I've put myself where you should be. And I've taken the punishment on myself so that grace flows abundantly to you. We are forgiven because of Jesus. We are made new because of Jesus. We are invited to join in the Holy Spirit's work because of Jesus. Amen? Let's turn our hearts towards the Lord in a time of prayer and confession here. We do this at the end of every sermon as a way of not rushing out to apply this. I hope to never preach a sermon that you can rush out and imply, apply immediately. I hope that it would always make you say, Oh dear God, bring me back to the fountainhead of grace. Bring me back to the source of it all. Bring me back to the cross. Bring me back to Jesus. Bring me back to the gospel where I admit, God, I cannot put myself where you should be, but thank you for placing yourself where I should be. Thank you for taking it on yourself. And then as we drink afresh of the grace of God, as we receive at the table of the Lord the grace of God, what begins to happen is it begins to flow out of you in these gifts as we serve one another, teach one another, encourage and exhort one another.